Check us out to hear the latest on life in the volunteer state. Yvonka and her guests discuss everything from life, love, and business with a Tennessee flair. It's a Tennessee thing! Always relatable, always relevant, and always a good time. This is Talkin' Tennessee, and now your host, Yvonka. Welcome back to Talking Tennessee with Yvonka. I am your host, and we are starting off season six in hot. We are starting it with the Honorable Judge Stephanie Jones. Welcome to the building. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Most definitely, most definitely. Well, let me just say, viewers, my daughter was at NAACP for Blunt County um, last week, and she met the judge. And she came home and she was just raving about this person. And she said, Mom, this is the person that needs to start your season. And I said, well, Adrian, I've already got somebody for a season. She said, no. She said, this is the person. And once I read about you, uh, can I say Stephanie? Yes, you can. Okay. Uh, once I read about you and just got in just in your story, I see why Adrian was so in wow because... You are the bomb. You are the bomb. You have done so many things in your life, in your career, that is so honorable. And giving back to your community is amazing. And so let's get into it. Tell me, who is Stephanie Jones? So first of all, thank you. I had a blast with your daughter. We thank had such you. a good time at the table. I, I I love that God put us at that same table. Most definitely. Um, and so you want me to tell you just about myself? Yeah, tell me. Who's Stephanie Jones outside of your career side? Tell our viewers, who are you? So Stephanie Jones is a third generation Alcoan. Okay. Um, My grandparents moved here or moved to Alcoa in the, I think it was like the 1912, no, no. No, that was when they were born. They moved here in the 1940s. Okay. 1940s. And um, they met and bought a house. It's the same family house that we still have. Really? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, still, there's still a Jones still living in that house. Amazing. Yes. And, um, you know, they had nine kids and uh, oh, my wow. dad was the fifth. He was smack in the middle. Okay. Um, and we just grew up in Alcoa. My mom's from Knoxville. Okay. And so uh, we do have that, but we were just, the Joneses were so big. Yes. Uh, I think we're the second largest black family in Alcoa. Really? And so so that's just that's just our where we where we started. So when I think of like who I am, mm-hmm. I would say I am the granddaughter of Jesse and Marie Jones. Okay, I'm the granddaughter of Alma and Elmer Griffin, um, who were in Knoxville. I'm the daughter of Larry Jones and the daughter of Jackie Jones. So, Y'all see how humble she is. <laughs> She's talking about her family and that legacy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I tell people all the time, Stephanie. I'm like. The one thing that we're taught in the black community is legacy. We're taught, we're taught, you know, building a legacy, absolutely, and, and handing it down, you know, that type thing. Not, and I'm not saying that everybody gets taught that, but I can say that I was taught that as a child, and it was a, a big part of me, and still is. Yes, you know what I'm saying? Yes, because you want to hand down to your children and, and to other family members what you have built. So they can build their their life. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. My grandfather used to say to my dad, um, you know, I work at this plant. He worked at Alcoa. Okay. And 
the story that always stuck out with me is he came home one day and he was covered in soot and he'd actually almost died at the plant. Okay. And he made all of his kids get out of bed okay. um, to come outside to see him covered in the soot. And he said, I do this job so that y'all don't have to do this job. Y'all oh, are going to good. college. That is and so that, good. that story, and when I asked my grandfather about it, my grandfather passed away when I was um, in eighth grade. Okay. But he used to take me to school. Okay. After he retired from Alcoa. And so I got a lot of good time with my grand, my grandfather, um, yes. Jones. And so I asked him about that story and he said, and you see, your dad has a college degree. I knew what I was doing. You see? And I was like, okay. Well, see, right, I had a grandfather like yours because my grandfather uh, was an educator. Okay. He was the very first black principal in Harriman. Okay. Uh, and so my grandfather, as a child, he said to me, what is your legacy going to be? He said, what will people remember you as? And he said, and that's how you need to live your life. And he said, and that's how you make the decisions that you make and the decisions you don't want to make uh, is what is my legacy? What is people going to remember me as? What it, will people be able to take from my legacy to build their legacy? Absolutely. And so I totally get where your grandfather is. Your grandfather was like, okay, I'm putting in the sweat and tears mm -hmm. so that you don't have to do that. And I want you to do, because you know, they say the old saying is each generation should be better. Yes. The next generation should be better. Yes. And that's what your grandfather was teaching mm -hmm. is that here's my generation. I've got to go in with the soot all over me, come home, you know, that, and go through all of that. But I don't want my kids to go through that. Absolutely. You know, so yes. what, tell me this, growing up in Alcoa, what was it like? So it was, it was, so Alcoa growing up was, Alcoa, the city itself yes. was fine. It was great. I actually enjoyed living in Alcoa. Okay. Um, but of course, back then, our biggest rival was Maribel. And so yes. the way people looked at it, I mean, that's still our biggest rival, but the way yes. people looked at it was Alcoa. You went to Alcoa. That was, that was a black school, basically. Yes. Um, that's where the black kids went. Um, you know, growing up, we had kids that started elementary school with us, and then they'd leave at middle school because the, the middle school back then was in the black neighborhood. Yes. And so their parents would take them out. They'd go to a different middle school and you'd see them back in high school and you're like, where were you the last three years? Yes. And, you know, so, so those were things that I picked up. And, and I do understand that because it is a big rival. Mm -hmm. It always has been. Yes. And it has been divided that way. Yes. Alcoa is this way. Maryville's this way. Yes. And a lot of t times you didn't mix. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Especially back when you were growing up. Yes. Think about it. Yes. You didn't mix. It was like, okay, it was understood, maybe not spoken, but it was understood the kids of Alcoa is here. Yes. And the kids of Maryville is here. Yes. And we don't mix. Yes. We might we might play sports against each other, but after the game. That's it. We separate. We, we go back to where That's we how are. it was in Harriman when I was growing mm -hmm. up. Okay. I mean literally my coaches would literally say when we'd go to certain cities, they would say, Okay, when you got done playing ball, you get on you bet on the bus. Oh, absolutely. We didn't get to go to concession stands. We didn't get to go even to the bathroom. Right. We didn't get to do any of that. It was you get back on the bus. Yes. You know, so what was that like growing up and you know, what can you say from your upbringing um that has changed? So, it's definitely changed now. Okay. Alcoa and Maryville, the rivalry is still there. Yes. But it's it's a lot more friendly. And yes. I think that's because a lot of people um, have just moved in, in, in between the cities, right? Correct. 
And I also think a lot of people like my generation, Gen X, I think a lot of those individuals, they start having kids yes. and you, you live where you can afford. And so people started right. being like, oh, well, let me let me let me not be judgy about about living here. Because I can get here. a good house yes. over here cheaper. Yes. Yeah. So I do think that had the effect and it's, it's kind of gone. It's naturally gone from that way. Yes. Um, but I think the other thing kind of going back to the way I was raised is my dad was the first class to integrate. Alcohol. Okay. So I grew up knowing that my dad had gone to Charles M. Hall alumni, Charles M. Hall School, um, which was the all black school, and was picked to integrate because he played football. Gotcha. And he made it clear to us that he didn't want to go to Alcoa. He was told to go to Alcoa because he played sports. Yes. And he felt that that wasn't right. He was like, this, this is my classmates. I want to stick with my classmates. Right. But then when they, when, you know, my grandparents were basically like, well, this is what you're going to do. Yeah. So this is what you're going to do. <laughs> so when he got yeah. there, he would, he spent a lot of time just really telling us of like, they had all these perceptions about us because we were black, but we also had a lot of perceptions about them because they were white. And he just really spent a lot of time really educating us on, that. on look, Alcoa is not like it was when I went, I didn't want to go. You know, right. but this is where I went. This is where my degree is from. And y'all are going to be welcomed at this school. So when we went to school, my brother and myself were two years apart. Um, you know, now there's been like hundreds of Jones. I'm not hundreds, but like lots of Joneses before us. Right. So when we got to school, we pretty much were like, yo, we own this place. Because, right, right. Because it was so many just came was, through and so many. Yes. Years. Yeah. Correct. And, you know, so that was something that I think for me, really gave me this surface level of, okay, this was what happened in the past to my parents. They absolutely don't want us to duplicate this, but they also want us to recognize that we still might be treated differently. Correct. And that really has always resonated with me. Yes. And I've always paid attention to that. And I think one of the things I've talked about recently to um, some of my friends is, is my dad always said, you can be the smartest person in the room, but don't let everybody know you're the smartest person in the room. I was raised that same way. And I would say... And don't walk like you're the smartest person. Yes. And I remember going back to my grandmother. We called her grand lady. Mm -hmm. Um, My grandma Jones, we called her grand lady. And I Mm -hmm. went to grand lady and I was like, why can't I be the smartest person in the room? She was just like, you can be the smartest person in the room, but I need you to act like you're not. Yes. And I said, well, he told me I can't walk like I'm I'm not the smartest person. She's like, oh, no, no. You're going to walk like you're the smartest person. She's like, no, look, you're going to walk like that. Yes. Yes. And so one of the things that translates now, which all, you know, people that have known me forever say, I clearly walk with an air about me. And it's because my grand lady was like, no, you're going to walk like this. I think you, let me just say this. When you walked into my office, you didn't walk in like, I'm a judge. No, I would no, never act like that. You, yes. you didn't. You walked in as, hi, Yes, my name is Stephanie. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And that speaks volume because you've earned, you've earned your position. Yes. Okay. Nobody's given you the judge position no. without earning it. So, you know what I'm saying? So yes. even if you did walk like that way, you earned it, you know, yes. but the... The difference is, is that when you know who you are, you don't have to walk like I'm judge. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's just respected. Yes. Okay. Yes. There's a different thing. And and you were very humble coming in here, in here. You didn't come in in that, I hate to say the big head mm-hmm. type, 
mentality. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. No. Because you know? I always think of it as my grandparents always taught us to be humble. Yes. And you're very humble. There's, there's yes. just, that's who we were taught. You yes. know, that's how I was taught and that's how I was raised. And the idea that any, that I, that anybody would think that they're, they're beneath me yes. is not something that I'm ever going to do. Exactly. But also you're also not going to think you above me. Correct. And that's just Speak checking other it. people. Yes. Right. And so when I, I think when I say I walk with the air, it's the air of you're not going certain people. You're are not, not going to make an assumption. Me. Yes. You're not going to downsize me. Yes. That's what that, yes. my mother said. Never let someone downsize you. Let who you are speak volume. Yes. She said, but don't ever let someone downsize you. And so I will say this is that when I was reading about you, it was like your stepping stones. It you could tell different things that has been said about you because I, I went and researched, you know, what has been said about you, whatever. They say you're a very strong woman. And that's a good thing. Yes. That's a real good thing because there's a lot of women that would love to have that strength, but it just doesn't have that. And so let me ask you this. Off camera, I was saying to uh, Stephanie is that um, we're in a world now that it's about the seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants a seat at the table. And I'm a firm believer everybody should have a seat at the table. But if you're going to be at the table, you have to have substance. You have to have something to offer, something to give, not just say, I want to have a seat at the table. Do absolutely. you agree? I absolutely agree. I think the way I kind of look at it when people start focusing on the seat at the table, okay. I think of it as Thanksgiving, right? So okay. you walk in, there's there's the turkey, there's all the sides. We all have a side we don't like. Oh, that's good. And if you walk up and you're just like, well, I'm si- I came here for Thanksgiving. This is the food here. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to get all of this. I'm going to pick up all these different foods, but this side I don't like. If you don't have any substance, you are the side you don't like. Ooh. And you need to recognize when you are sitting at a table. Back up. Yes. Say that one more time. If you don't have any substance, you're the side you don't like. That's so good. And that's what the way I look at it. So when people say, I just, I just want to be a seat at the table. So you just want to be in the room. You don't want to talk about anything. No, correct. When you get that seat at the table, you have two jobs. One, to make it clear to everybody there that you deserve to be there, that it wasn't a gift. And second, to get other people that look like you at the same table. Oh, that that is your two. That's your two requirements. Do y'all see why I brought her? Do you see why I brought her? Because East Tennessee, I will say, needs more people like you. You know, I believe in you probably never uh, because we just met. I have a Facebook live show. And so I talk about that a lot because I'm like, you know what? The seat at the table and all these different things. Yes, we earn that. But we have there's a duty that we have to know that there's a job to be done. And we have to understand that it's not just focused on getting that seat. It's what you do when you get in that seat and what you apply yourself, you know, and what can you give for the greater good, yes, you know, of all. And you have to open the door yes. for people yes. that look like you. You can't literally say, well, I'm at the table, but I don't want anybody else that looks like me at the table. And a lot of times people will sit and say they want that unity, but do they? Because, no. because a lot of people don't want that unity. So I think 
what we always have to remember, right, mm-hmm. is it's the way it's systemic racism, right? Yes. So what happens is, is people are so happy. Oh, I got this. I got this. I'm going to just close my fist because yes. I don't want it taken away from me. Yes. Because I finally gotten this recognition from this group of people that I think validates me. Yes. So that's, that's systemic. And if I share it, then I'm going to be downsized. Yes. You know, I feel good at right now. The mm-hmm. the energy here, I, I love this energy here. But if I share it with someone that looks like me, then that means I'm down, going to be downsized and I won't feel like that anymore. You have to have the confidence that no matter when you share it, it's all for the greater good and you don't lose that energy. Well, there's also the piece of that is people feel like, well, I'm no longer special. And speak on it because they feel like I'm no longer special. I'm not going to bring somebody else up here to sit with me because I like being the special person. I like getting this center of attention. And a lot of people will not admit that. Absolutely they will not. not admit that they want to be the special person. And I will say a lot of times, you know, childhood, whatever they were taught mm-hmm. in childhood, because I'm learning the older I get, there is a lot of kids that parents pit the kids against each other mm-hmm. in in competing. And so they compete so much for their mother and father's love that when they get out in the world, they feel like that the world's wanting them to compete that same way. And they don't realize really, no, you're competing within your mind because they're, they're not your mother and father. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody can't be sized up as what your mother and father taught you you know, good or bad or whatever, you have to find your way. Well, and it's, it's to your point, it's, it's what I always call the origin story. Okay. You have to sit down. We all, this is why I think everybody needs therapy, but there's a point in your life that you actually have to sit down and think about why do I do X, Y, Z? What is my origin story? What makes me think, oh, if I become a lawyer, um, this will be this will be the best thing ever. Yes. Is it because your mom wanted to be a lawyer and she couldn't do it? So now you just want to live up Ooh, to that idea. That's so good. But you didn't really want to do it. But you know it'll make your mom, mom happy. happy. Yes. Because she didn't get to do it because she sacrificed for you. And there's a lot of p- kids that go down the career path trying in jobs and careers that they really and truly did not want to do. But because mom and dad told them this is what... You need to do. I know some very powerful people that truly and truly do not know who they are. Right. The only thing they know is what mom and daddy has told them that they're supposed to be. And as long as they stay on that, then they feel like, okay, I'm successful. Okay, I'm this, I'm that. But if they ever stop long enough and just say, you know, that's not what I want to be, they feel like they're going to fall. Right. And it's not falling, it's finding yourself Mm -hmm. in a position of true fulfillment. So let's talk about it. What did you want to be when you were growing up? So I actually wanted to be an astronaut. Astronaut. Um, I did. I did. I <laughs> then she I was, went down the lawyer path. I, I know. I was very into math and science. Um, okay. My, I just, I, my fifth grade teacher, Dr. Gann. Okay. So remember, I can see her face. Um, she had applied. I'm dating myself, but I already said I was Gen X. She had applied to be on Good. the space shuttle. Um, and had worked her way. And so throughout our year, we get to watch her apply, watch her like do all the little astronaut test stuff. And I was like, this is what I want to do. It's what I want to do. And my parents had actually, even before I met Dr. Gann, my parents had taken me 
to watch the space shuttle go off five times. Okay. I mean, drove me to Florida so I could be there at five in the morning to watch the space shuttle go off. So okay. shout out to my parents. That yes, were like, five times. <laughs> yeah, yes, to Florida just so I could watch the space shuttle go off. And then, yes. you know, so, but this is what I want to be. So fifth grade, um, the Challenger disaster happens. Okay. Um, we're watching it on live TV. Space shuttle goes up. 81 seconds later, it blows up. And I was like, oh, I need to find another career. Because I didn't know you could die. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I didn't know I could I, die. Right. And so, and I will never forget because they're, you know, schools don't know how to deal with trauma, at least back then. Yes. And so they're basically like, all right, go to lunch. And I remember we go to lunch and we're just like, you know, so numb because this we just watch people die on national TV. TV. And we're going through the line and I'll never forget this kid, um, class clown. He says to me, he was like, guess you don't want to be an astronaut anymore. And I was like, no, I don't think I want to. Because everybody knew I want to be an astronaut. Yes. So I remember going home and I told my parents, I don't want to be an astronaut anymore. And my dad's like, you know, negatives happen in everything. It does. And you can't just decide, you know, your little 10 year old self, you might change your mind. And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. You're like, I'm good. So uh, then the Cosby show came out. Oh boy. And Claire Huxtable. Yes. Was got I love me some Felicia Ross was, was everything. She was everything. And I said, that's what I'm gonna be. Yeah. And yes. I always tell that story because it shows how representation matters. Yes. Because I saw her and I was like, she's a lawyer. That's what I'm gonna be. There were no yeah. other lawyers in my family. Yes. But she, that was it. I'm I'm gonna do that. Let's go back for a second. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize is that you saw a person that inspired you. Absolutely. Okay. A lot of times in these days and times, people look at, okay, if you see somebody that inspires you instead of just saying they inspire me, you know, to do whatever, whatever. A lot of times people look at it as, oh, you want to be them. You want to idolize them. No, she inspired you and you were on a path of trying to find out, okay, where is my next path? What do I want to be? I don't want to die. As <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. And I totally agree because I grew up with Claire Huxtable and Claire Huxtable was everything to black little girls. Yes. She was the mother, mm-hmm. the friend. She was the businesswoman. She was the wife. She had so many parts in that one part that every one of, uh, especially black, little black girls, we didn't have nobody to look up to. No. If you really think about it on TV, we really didn't. And so when Claire Huxwell and uh, Cliff came on there, you know, um, that's what we inspired to be. And then they showed us how to be human. Yes. You know, when they showed about how raising their kids, how the different obstacles with their kids, all that kind of stuff. And I think that helped us as being, you know, in relationships, I think in friendships, because they showed all of that. Yes. And so you got the attorney out of her. I did because, well, the, the little side pieces, the okay. other person that inspired me was Dominique Devereaux from Dynasty. Yes. And I used to tell my grandma. Good. Man. I did. I, that was my two. And I told my grandma, I said, I'm going to walk around just like that woman yes. with those, with these big, lovely bags yes. and these furs. And I said that and not taking any mess off anybody. I was like, that's, that is going to be me. And Dominique Devereaux yes. was the epitome of class. Yes. Yes, yes she was. Yes. 
Claire was too, but it was on a totally different level, yes. you know? And so, so, so I feel like I'm a combination of those. The, the, that, okay. I, I took, I took that in, okay. in terms of my idols. Yes. And I said, okay, this, these two, I'm going to, that's it. And you I'm going to create myself. Yes. I'm going to create myself out of that. So you decided, okay, I'm going to go to law school. Yes. And then how was that? So I went to Duke University undergrad. Um, so did you hear her say Duke? <laughs> I did. did. You hear Duke. I went Keep to going. Duke. I went to Duke University undergrad. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and then I... I bet your parents were so proud. They were. They were. Oh, my goodness. Um, and, and, you know, just in terms of, again, representation, the very... Um, back then, the very first person that um, that welcomed you to Duke after your parents moved in and, were, and you were, you know, saying bye to your parents was was Dr. Maya Angelou. So really? Dr. Angelou gave the invocation, basically the welcome to Duke. And I pushed my way to the front. Me and my my friends that I just met. We didn't get to meet her, okay. but we sat in the front row. Oh, you was right there. And she just looked at us and smiled. And power. And we were just, I can I can feel that like that was yesterday. Yes. And so we had her at the beginning, and then my graduation, um, the graduation speaker was uh, President Jimmy Carter. Really? And President Carter talked to us about service. Okay. And you have been blessed. You've been at this school Let's have a discussion about service and who you want. He, again, emphasized the legacy. Who do you want to be? So I felt like I keep getting the same messages. Those are messages my grandparents gave me, the messages my parents gave me. And now it's Dr. Maya Angelou and it's former President Jimmy Carter giving me the same kind of message. So I went to University of Tennessee for law school. Yes. And, um, you know, I just embarrassed. Law school was not very hard compared to Duke. Um, that's, that's, I like, bet. that's a little secret that I, you know, I sat there and was like, oh man, like this was hard. It was it wasn't that hard compared to Duke. Um yeah. but it you said Duke me, was hard. Duke was hard. But it it taught me a different way to think. Okay. And that was really profound in terms of the way that you look at problems and analyze problems. Law school really is teaching you how to analyze something, turn it, and then respond. And that was different. And that was the part that for me was very, um, was difficult because I was just like, okay, but I think about it this way. And I I will also say, I felt law school is something that actually kind of teaches you really almost how to think like a white man. Okay. Because the thing about law school is, first of all, again, rooted in systemic, right? And that's who who became lawyers. and, um, Mm -hmm. And it really makes you think of things in this way. That I think as black people, we're taught, okay, well, you do X, Y, Z, and you're going to, you're going to end up at the top. If you go to this school, this school, this school, who cares about all the debt, but you're going to be here. And for me, law school was very like, "Mm, there's other ways to do this. And that, that for me, me was very unique. Yeah. It was, it taught you to have strategies on how to accomplish your goal and not be in crazy debt. <laughs> well, not only yeah, that, yeah. but how to accomplish your goal by inspiring other people to do your work. That's what law school taught me. Say it one more time. How to accomplish your goal by inspiring other people to do your work. Did y'all hear that? She's very educated. <laughs> very educated. So when you became, okay, so a, a, an attorney, mm-hmm. what was your goal then? What did you want to do? Private practice? Did you want what? 
what was your journey with that? So when I went to law school, I wanted to be a prosecutor. I wanted to prosecute um, crimes against women and children. Um, you can call it SVU, but um, I mean, you know, <laughs> Olivia Vincent. You know, I was thinking about that. Oh yeah, yes. So that's what I went to law school to do. I clerked my first semester at the U.S. Attorney's Office here in Knoxville. Okay. And it was a really good experience, but it also taught me that that was not what I wanted to do. Okay. Um, it just was not for me. I didn't want to be the person responsible for putting black and brown bodies in jails. Yes. Um, not that black and brown bodies were create were creating any more crime than anybody else. Right. But I I at least felt like I was seeing something that I thought I didn't necessarily want to be a part of. And you thought it would be hard for you to put your own people in yes. behind bars. I can understand yes. that. So then I was like, again, it was like, oh, I got to pivot. So I started into labor and employment law, okay, which is um, civil rights. So sex, or, mm-hmm. sex harassment claims, race discrimination claims, um, age discrimination, yes, um, nationality discrimination, things that I started being like, okay, I get this. But I started out on the management side, meaning I defended the companies. Okay. Because my thought was, if I defend the companies, I can explain to them Hey, here's here's why you shouldn't do this. Okay. You know, here's, you know, you need to focus on this. You need to do training. You need to do all these things. And some of my clients were like that. Some of my clients were absolutely, or I should say the firm's clients, because when you start, you're you're the junior associate. And so they were like that. They were open and welcome to it, but some of them weren't. Okay. And so I I kind of felt like I was working for the man. Yes. And so I didn't like that feeling. Yes. Um, but all of a sudden you think about your school debt. Which I didn't actually, I, I was very blessed. I didn't have a lot. But you start thinking about, oh, well, this money affords me these things. Right. I can I can help take care of I my parents. I can do all these things. Yes. And it just, it was not working. And so I ended up going, applying to the federal government. Mm-hmm. And I went to work for the EEOC, which is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Yes. And the EEOC actually sues companies who violate the laws, who, who do have sex harassment, race discrimination, age discrimination. Okay. And that was for me. She said that was for me. That was for me. Um, prosecuting companies for um, violating the law. That was, I was, that was for me. You were all about it. Yes. So tell me this. How did you tell me the path on the hair relaxer lawsuit? Tell okay. me about it. Because so I'm so intrigued I, by this. I, and I was like, I've got to ask yes, her. I could talk about the hair relaxer lawsuits all day. So um, before you do, let me say yes. this. In the black community, our hair is the crown of our joy. Uh, uh, crown of our uh, joy. It's everything to us. Our hair, you know, it, it's just the crown and everything. And and it's funny that we're having this conversation because I just went to my dermatologist yesterday. I have psoriasis and, and my thyroid's bad. And so it's thin my hair. And so my husband went to the doctor's appointment with me yesterday and it was a very vulnerable moment. It was very, first of all, it's one thing to go yourself and deal with thinning of hair. It's another thing when your husband's sitting right there, you know what I'm saying? Because it's the crown. Yes. Okay. And so when I was reading about you, I was like, I thought about that sitting in with my dermatologist. I'm like, oh, wow. I'm about to be able to ask her about this case. Tell me about it. So just so 
how I got on that case, it's actually not my case. I don't, I'm not the lawyer on the case. The case is currently pending, but one of my clients, um, from Omega daughter, which I know we'll get into, um, it brought me in because they specifically wanted to try to target women in the Southeast and by target women in the Southeast, meaning they have sued the hair relaxer companies okay, because the studies have shown that the hair relaxers that we grew up using, um, um, yes. that we grew up using on our head from children, from uh-huh. our, when we were small children, have been shown to cause cancer, specific types of cancer. Um, I call them kind of the woman cancers, not breast cancer, right. but ovarian, cervical, uterine cancer. Right. So they filed a lawsuit. Um, it's a it's a huge class action. Benjamin Crump is one of the attorneys that yes. also um, is involved in the lawsuit. And so my client said, we really want to to help to find women that this is affected. Okay. Can you help us? Yes. And I was like, this is near and dear to my heart. Absolutely. I can help you. Yes. So what I started doing was on behalf of the client, I would go to, we started at hair shows. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's ever gone to a hair show knows hair shows are great, except for hair shows are about weaves and wigs, which they I love are, to wear. That's true. They're not about necessarily, you might kind of couple of pockets of natural hair. Yeah, people, but you but don't not see for the much. Most, right? Yes. So that really wasn't our demographic because what was happening is we'd get a lot of pushback from the people that were there. Oh, they don't cause it. And I'm like, well, here's the science. I can give you the science. So then we switched to women's health expos. Okay. And that's where we started finding claimants. So what I would say and really want your audience to know is if you or any of your family members had uterine cancer, um, cervical cancer, or ovarian cancer, and um, used hair relaxers. My aunt did. If, so your aunt did. Yes. Okay, so if is your aunt, your aunt's no longer alive? She's not living. But does she have any living children? She doesn't. She doesn't. Okay. She doesn't. So what I what I always like to let people know is, even if it's somebody that that's passed on, uh-huh. you should go on my website, which is um, www.omegadaughter.com, and there's a tab that says hair relaxers. And you can read about the lawsuit, and then you can click the link, which will send you directly to my client, and you can um, put in your information, and then my client will reach out to you and see if you can become one of the, the, I call them class members. That's not technically correct. It's claimant. So basically you would become one of the claimants in the lawsuit. Gotcha. A, a lot of times when we run around doing these, people said, is that real? Are these, we hear about this. Is it real? It's absolutely real. Um, if this affected you, you should get involved. One of the questions people always ask me is, well, how would they even prove I, I did hair relaxers? You would testify to that. Yes. You know, so right, you would right, you would testify right. that you had it. And then the other question I get is, well, how how would how would they prove that because I got hair relaxers, I developed this type of cancer? That's for the lawyers to deal with. So I don't want you to self don't self eliminate yourself. Right. Yes. Don't remove yourself is Correct. a better way to say it from this particular from this lawsuit. But um, we're there's they're still looking for claimants. This is still very active. The lawsuits are moving forward. And so if it's if it's affected you, I suggest you get on and jump on right so now. So if it's it's a if you've had relaxers mm-hmm. as a kid or now or whatever. Yes. They want to talk to you. Yes, absolutely. Even a lot, a lot of times people would say to me, well, I stopped getting relaxers 20 years ago. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, because one one of the things is, I mean, one of them is just for me. I mean, that's one of yes. it's so yes. Yes. It, it, so yeah, let's say you got a relaxer. I mean, I stopped, I think relaxing, I think it's been 10 plus years. I still got relaxers as a child. So you just make, just go ahead, go to the website, click the link and at least answer the questions 
Let the law firm see if you can be a claimant. Um, but I will tell you just in general about that work. It's been absolutely rewarding meeting people who have either. I met so many people who currently have cancer, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it was just heartbreaking or the people who they lost their mother or they lost their auntie heartbreaking. And so giving them a voice. Yes. And saying, you know, would their kids, you know, and, the, you know, people say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm our daughter. I, I would love to be involved. That's, you know, and I say, just let's give them a voice. Because and the biggest reason why yeah. I'm I'm tackling this and I want to be a voice and use my platform to be a voice is because a lot of times people stay silent, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of times people don't utilize the information that you have. Stephanie's telling you, okay. You can have a voice. They're going to help you have a voice for your family member or yourself or whatever. So don't feel like, okay, this is not worth my time or whatever, because, you know, having a voice is a big thing. And that's one way to speak up for the one that didn't get to speak up for their self. Do you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, tell me this, but taking to the hair relaxer, um, situation how has it affected just you in well of course you said you haven't been a relaxer in 10 years so do you tell people don't do relaxers at all or how does that work so i don't tell people to not do relaxers uh-huh. okay because our hair is our it's crown a, and it's a, and personal, it's a personal, cho- yes. personal choice what i do though is i give them the information and I show them, here's the information. You make your own choice about it. Okay. But what you need to know is everything we put everything we put in and on our body has a long-term effect. That's true. And the water we drink has an effect. The food we eat. The food we eat. Everything. So I'm not going to tell anybody not to get one. What I am going to instead say, I mean, my mother still gets them. Okay. And yes. that's, you know, and yes. she watches me go around. I'm like, mom, what you doing? And she's like, yeah. Well, you know. um, but... That's what I just say is let's just look at this. Let's see what we can do. Um, And then the other piece of it, which also lets you know that the companies knew what they were doing, um, allegedly, uh, is because the FDA just, I think last year, is now looking at the hair relaxer companies and telling them they have to remove certain product ingredients. ingredients. So why would all of a sudden the FDA care unless... And why would you have to remove anything if it was... Safe. Yes. The, to the, la- consumer. the last point I will make, again, everybody makes their own decision, is there was a there were a couple of morticians that came up to us at the at the wellness expos. Uh-huh. And one of them said to me, Well, whenever I do a black woman's um like an autopsy, um sometimes I see purple rings around their head, which is likely from the hair relaxer they literally see purple it's gotten into our scalp it's still there after we die i had multiple morticians say this to me and for me that was where i was like a purple ring just because it's i guess so you know i mean i remember just let it sit just let it sit i just need to get it straight just let it sit yeah but they would show me it's it's around the hairline completely around the head and she's right the beauticians will say let it sit let's get it straight yes (laughs) And when they started telling, I I was in Chicago when the first mortician told me that. It was a Chicago health expo. Uh For me, I was like. It was a no brainer. Yes. She's like, here you go. Yes. So let me ask you this. In your words, D-E-I-A is what? Diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility. And, And what 
personally, what does that say to you? What that says to me is we are smart. We have always been smart. We have always been denigrated. Yes. And we have started to believe the things that people say about us. And it is our job to flip the script on that and be at the table. Again, not being the side that nobody likes, being at the table, showing them that we belong at the table. And quite frankly, as we've shown you through Serena, Venus, um, you know, um, basketball, NFL players, you know, we've got when you let us be quarterback. Guess what? You got two of them in the Super Bowl. Um, when you let us um, play tennis, guess what? You got the the Venus Williams changed Wimbledon in terms of she did. She made not only did she win, but she also made the women's salaries match the men's salaries. So you can. So for me, what DEI says, DEIA says is it's that inclusion part more than anything. Yes, because the inclusion and the accessibility part shows that when we get to these places that you've kept us out of. We don't, we don't know. We not only win at it, we excel at it. We do. We and do. that is why it's so important to me because deep down, I, I think other people know that, which is why they fight so hard. Yes. And it's our job to be there and show them you can keep fighting, but we're going to keep coming. This is my biggest thing when it comes to that is, you know, I was saying on my Facebook live, I said, black women, when someone describes a black woman. When is it going to be a day that is aggressive doesn't come out their mouth? Yes. Angry black woman. Um, t- uh, too outspoken, too hard to this. Why can't it be that a black woman can be assertive? A black woman can be very passionate about what they believe in. Mm-hmm. We've got to change the narrative and we have to change people's thought in how they speak to us. And when it comes to me, I you can call me aggressive, you can call me whatever you want to call me. But one thing I will not do is dim my light for you to fit in. Absolutely. I won't do it. Absolutely. I, I will not dim my light for you to fit in what you what makes you feel comfortable but it makes me feel uncomfortable. Yes. And as a black woman, when you say to a black woman, you know, you're being aggressive. I say this because I'm a real estate agent. I said, I get paid to fight for my clients. You can understand it because you're an attorney. Absolutely. You know, you get paid to fight for what your, your client needs. Okay. Yes. Why does it have to be said in a negative undertone that because if the opposite race does the same fight, it's it's said, oh, they're just really passionate mm-hmm. about their client. But when it's a black woman that does it, is we're hard to deal with. Yes. We're aggressive. Mm-hmm. We're we're all those different terms. And I said, I will use my platform to teach that, you know, racism can come in different forms. And when you use certain form, certain words to try to dim someone's light because you don't have the strength to go toe-to-toe in a professional way, you have to look at yourself and say, I've got to strengthen myself, not dim another woman's light. Absolutely. Do you agree? Absolutely. You, you know, yes. and I know in your career, let's talk about it. 
Has people tried to dim your light? Oh, absolutely. My very first law firm, um, and this is what I talked about, pulling somebody up. My very first law firm, um, there was a black female who'd been there. I saw her. I was like, okay, yes. Yeah. And she was a brown skin sister like me. So I was like, okay. And she treated me like I was gum on the bottom of her shoe that she just had to kick off. Oh, wow. And it has, that stuck to me because I was so shocked. You know, I was thinking, I've got an ally. I walked in the store. I've got an ally. I've got someone. Under, she wanted, she didn't want to deal with me. She didn't have nothing to do with you. And what's been interesting about my career is the champions I have had have mostly been white men. Consistently been my champions. Consistently yep. will go to bat for me. Mine too. And that for me has been, I mean, I'm very appreciative of it. But it also has just made me always say, oh, no, I'm going to make sure somebody coming behind me can at least say, well, I did have a black woman that championed me. Yes. Because that that just I, I just wouldn't forget it. And so what has what was nice over the course of my career is once I did get to the EEOC, my big boss was a black woman and my the boss under her was a black woman. And, you know, shout out to Lynette Barnes. She was the first. She was my big yes. boss. Mm-hmm. First black woman who I knew had my back, but also championed me, but also was never going to dim her light for anybody. And so I got to see, see me. how that works in a legal setting for the first time. And that's 10 years of my career. I got to see how that worked and how that operated. And it really had an effect on me because you weren't just, you know, she was going to tell you straight up, no, this is done incorrectly. You weren't going to talk over her in a meeting. She was going to let you talk. And she was going to, you were going to get out what you were going to say, but then she was going to say, well, this is how it is. And for me, that was, su- that was such a very powerful, powerful pivot yeah. moment of yeah. seeing that. And, and so I forever was like, no, I'm going to. see, that's yeah. me because, you know, my career path, when I first, I was in mortgages first and before I became a realtor. And when I became a realtor, it wasn't that many black realtors in East Tennessee. And when I. I hit the ground running. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And I have I have a bubbly personality. I can, you know, I can talk to anybody. But it was like, I never forget this realtor saying to me, I can't talk to you right now. You are aggressive. And I said, how am I aggressive? I said, this is not a personal thing. I was this time. Mm-hmm. I said, this is not a personal thing. I said, I'm fighting for my client. I said, but there's nothing personal in it. I said, I'm not being aggressive. I'm just stating the facts and, you know, speaking for my client. Oh, you're you're being disrespectful. It stuck with me. Mm-hmm. It And it ate at me for years mm-hmm. that one time that that person said that to me. And that's not the only time that somebody said it. But that, you know, the one time. Yes. The first time it said to you. It hits so hard. And so let me say this to the viewers, because I know I have all races of viewers, okay? If you're that person that uses those type terms to try to dim someone's light, shame on you. You shall reap what you sow. I truly believe that. If you're that person that helps a minority have a voice and say, you know what? They need to be treated just like everybody else. Hooray to you. I pray that God brings so much to you because as a black woman, and I'm not saying that other races don't have a hard time as well, but I can only speak as what I am. Right. And I'm a black woman. It's hard to be a black woman in America. 
It really and truly is. Even in our culture, it's hard to be a black woman because even in our culture, I think some of our men have started to believe the things that have been said about us. And so it's very hard for you to navigate, you know, here you go, I'm trying to uh, climb this ladder, Mm -hmm. but somebody wants to dim it, you know, and I don't want to look like that I'm too aggressive or I'm the problem, whatever, but I still want to be me. Right. And And so, and I want to circle back to disrespectful. Disrespectful is a clear, people call them microaggressions. I call them aggression aggressions. Yes. But disrespectful is called, you're not going to speak to me like an equal would. How dare you think you can speak to me like, like somebody who looks like me can. You're supposed to be subservient to me. That's what disrespectful means. It is. It's just flat out code for, ooh, I need you to, I need you to tone it down. Yes. Not be any less loud. I just need you to recognize where, where, who I am. Right. Correct. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing I do want to circle back for the hair relaxers is, Go ahead. um, the majority of the attorneys working on that case also are black and brown individuals. Really? Um, and that's so awesome. I did want to circle back out because I, I think that's about, key. Yes. Cause the good thing about that is, is that they can relate mm-hmm. to the culture. Yes. They can relate because it's, it's kind of hard if you're not part of the culture to really understand how it can really affect you emotionally, physically, and everything else. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Versus, you know, having somebody that can just truly speak for you. So I'm glad you came back with that. Yes. Is that for the women that are going to come forth about that, understand it's going to be some people that look like you. Yes. That can speak for you. So that should make you feel more comfortable to come forth because it's not going to be somebody downplaying your pain or whatever. Yes. And your loss. Yes. You know, that type thing. But back to the diversity and and inclusion and all that is that we have to understand that even in our careers is that there's a lot of dimming. It's, It's a lot of dimming. And I'll tell you another way of dimming. When someone sees your career path and sees what you're made of, and they do things underhanded to dim yours so you don't accomplish yes. whatever it is because they're afraid that if you accomplish it, they're on the same path that you will surpass them Yes, and you will have more power than them. Mm-hmm. That happens in East Tennessee a lot. Hear me when I tell you. It happens a lot in real estate. A lot of times people will literally try to dim your light in real estate because... They're afraid of your power. Yes, for sure. And so you have to understand, and I'm speaking that about pertaining to real estate because that's what I'm in. You know, the same way you're in law, you can speak to what you've been through in your career. Can you share, since you became an attorney, respected attorney, your career path once you became judge? Yes. So making it to becoming a judge. Yes. So my father passed away in 2013. Okay. Um, but before he passed away, he, he, we always just kind of joke about Judge Judy. My mom loved Judge Judy. That's all yes. she was. And, you know, my dad would be like, You're her Judge Judy. Yes. My dad would be like, you, you, You'd be a really good judge. And I was like, 
I'm, I like suing people. I'm good. I'm happy. She said, I like suing people. I did. I love suing people. Um, I mean, you're violating the law. Yeah. I, 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 I think that's, you should not be violating the yes. law. So, um, and he said, no, no, I think you'd be a really good judge. You're really fair. You listen to people, you know, and I said, oh, okay, daddy, whatever. So a couple of people had come to me and said, you should throw your ring in the hat. And I kind of, I said, okay, I'll fill out the initial paperwork. So I filled out just like the initial interest Yes. And and then my father passed away. And of course, I was like, I don't care about that. I'm just going to just kind of be She's in my... I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm going to be in my... And try to help take care of my mom. So I that's what I did. And then a few years later, I'd say 2015. Yes, I became a judge in 2017, which sounds crazy now. But 2015... Um, some some other folks that come back said, no. You did know, y'all hear that? She became a judge in 2017. I did. Love it. Um, so 2015, a couple of folks came back and said, you know, you really should. And I said, you know, my dad. And in my head, I was like, you know, my dad really was talking about this and wanted, wanted me to do it. So, you know, and, but that gets to the point I made earlier. But what do I want to do? Yes. Mm-hmm. Am I throwing my name in this hat just to accomplish something that he would have been that proud he spoke of? about. Or is it something I really want to do? And so I kind of threw it in and was like, oh, I don't care if I get it. I mean, I, so, but I, cause I was like, I'm good being a litigator. I'll throw my name in and kept getting interview after interview. I got flown to DC, do an interview there, flown to ball. And I was like, okay. So I'm, you know, slowly progressing. She's like, this is a lot. I was like, this is a lot. Yes. And then I get the call, uh, two years later, um, in 2017, they're like, Hey, we'd like to offer you, uh, this, this judgeship. Um, and it would be in Knoxville, Tennessee. At the time I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. And I said, what? What'd you say? She said in Knoxville. I was what? like, I said, that's, I said, that's near where I'm from. And they're like, well, that's where we're sending you to. And if you accept. And I said, okay, I accept. And it was, it was one of these. I mean, I remember I, I was working at home, working on a case and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll accept, you know? And I, I called my mom Oh, I know. She was so proud. Yes. And I said, guess where I'm moving? So, you know, you asked me about Alcoa and I do want to circle back. When I left Alcoa in 1993, when I graduated high school, I was like, I'm never coming back to this place. Yeah. Because I felt it, it was too small for me. Yes. Um, I felt like, and a part of that is no denigration Alcoa. It's when your entire, when every teacher you've ever had has had your dad, your auntie, your uncles. Yes. When everywhere you go, um, people, oh, your dad, I just saw him, your uncle. That was my grandfather. It was, it was everywhere. So you couldn't. If we got in trouble, they call him because back then they paddled. So back then. Oh, no, we still got paddled. They didn't call my mom and dad. They called my grandfather if we got in trouble. Yeah. So it was, it was that. So I understand. It was just that I can't turn two feet without everybody being like, well, do I need to call Miss Marie? That's my girl. Can y'all let me live? So I was just like, I remember saying to my parents, I was like, I'm out. And I do think I hurt my dad's feelings. He was like, I was, I was like, it's great for y'all here. I got to be Dominique Devereaux. I'm out. She was so, like, and it is not any yes, citizen. Yes. And so, like I said, I went to Duke. I came back for law school, which even that was kind of like, uh, but I came back. Yes. So, but when I left, I, I moved to, I started my law practice in Atlanta, um, started at a law firm in Atlanta uh-huh. and was there almost 10 years. And then, no, no, I was there eight years and then Charlotte. So when I got the call, I was in Charlotte and I just felt like this was definitely God because it was sending me back um, here to help take care of my mom. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt like that's... That, 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 yes. It's like, 
I may not have thought this is for me because it was my dad, but it all fell in line so that it was God's purpose. Is that how you feel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and as, along the two-year journey, eventually I did start to care and be like, well, I really want that job. You know? So, yes. So, yes. 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 So the best part about you becoming a judge, let me stop and say this. Let me give you your flowers. Every young girl, black and white, but mostly, let me just say black girls. Let's speak on black girls. Little black girls are going to be able to see you sit on a bench. You make incredible decisions that affect people's lives in so many good ways. They will be able to see the power in working as hard as you've worked. They'll be able to see that, you know what, there's someone that looks like me that can relate to me. And they'll be able to see that you didn't give up. You went that extra mile. You know, I want to be an astronaut, but now I want to become an attorney. But I didn't stop there. My dad may have put it in my mind, but I'm the one that made it come to life. That type thing. So let me be the one to say, you inspire me. Oh, thank you. You You really do. Adrian raved, and Adrian doesn't rave about a lot of people to me. She'll she'll tell me about people. She'll be like, well, this may be a good person. But Adrian, your energy just really inspired my daughter. She looked up in that short amount of time sitting at that table. You truly, Adrian's one of those little girls that you inspired because Adrian was flat out, mom, you're not starting your season without this person. And so let me say to you, thank you for inspiring me. Thank you for being the woman that you are. And thank you for not giving up and allowing the color of your skin to dictate who you are. All that does is just show you're beautiful. <laughs> that type thing. But your skin color has nothing to do with what you've accomplished. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really, really you're appreciate welcome. That. You're yes. welcome. You're yeah. welcome. I just feel like you should always give someone their flowers and always tell them, you know, what the, the mark they've made on you. And the short amount of time we've known you, you've really made a mark. And I'm really good at reading people. Very good at reading people. But you coming in and just how humble you came in and was ready to just do this podcast and was ready to go. It's just like, wow. Wow, she has accomplished so much. But you haven't forgot who you are. Oh, no. No. So let me ask you this. What what kind of judge are you? Yes. Tell me that. So I have a lifetime appointment, just like the Supreme Court. Um, I am a federal... Lifetime. Uh, yes. Lifetime appointment. I'm a federal administrative law judge at Social Security. Um, just actually three weeks ago, I now am the chief, the hearing office chief administrative law judge. So got a promotion um, about three weeks ago, which I'm very proud of. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. So I'm um, I'm responsible for Knoxville and actually Cookville. Okay. So, um, so yes, I'm very proud of that. But so that means that I... Um, hold right now. What that means is I hold hearings on individuals who have filed social security claims okay. for disability. Okay. So either um, it, it's either SSDI or SSI. Most people don't know that. Some people know the terms, but um, so basically it's either you worked for, you worked for it, which is um, SSDI. So you worked, you know, part of your life 
uh, something happened, you got injured, you can no longer do your job. So you've already paid into the system. So that's one way you can get disability. And okay. the other disability is, you know, you might have not worked for it, but we do have funds that are set aside for individuals in this country who are disabled. So I, I, I did not know that. that. Yes. So there's two different types. So um, I only knew the one type. Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. And that's, and that's something I think, I'll be honest, I didn't know that before I worked at Social Security either. And I think that's something that particularly brown and black people are not educated about. Yes. We're not told that, right? Right. Um, and so what I always, I want to make sure your, your, um, your listeners understand is just because someone's on Social Security doesn't mean they're not trying to get a handout. They're not trying to get, you know, play the system. Yes. Thank are there people, are there people that maybe got it and, you know, are on water skis? Absolutely. And guess what? If you see those people, you should report them. Yes. You know, yes, that's your duty. It, it is your tax dollars too. You should report them. But the majority of people okay. that have, that, that actually qualify for disability have something a physical or a mental disability. You might not be able to see it, but but they they couldn't work a job forty hours a week, um, and so that's my passion is making sure a people understand these aren't people that are just looking for a handout, and b that some people worked and earned it, and they've been injured and yes. are unable to are unable to work. So that's and just something I want to have money to live on. Right. You know, right. so no, I did not know that. So yeah. that that's a good thing for you to know is it's not always, you know, someone that worked uh, and paid in. So don't look at it as I don't want to apply. If you have a disability, go apply, see, you know, all they can do is deny. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, my mother used to say is you don't know if it's uh, going to be yes if if you always accept no. Right. She said, don't accept no, look for yes. So that's one way to do it. Yeah. And so I would want to add just really quickly to that. Go so ahead. just to kind of explain what I do. So by the time it gets to me, they've they've applied and been denied twice. Okay. Um, and then they requested a hearing in front of a judge. So that's how the case gets to us. So we don't have anything to do with any of the initial declines, any of any of that. It's by the time that it's gotten to me, they've been declined twice. And, and so that's, and they're asking for a hearing. I hear so many people say this. Well, when you first file for Social Security, you automatically denied the first time. But I know people that is not being denied the first time. They were approved the first time. So that's another thing is that just know that you won't know until you apply and see what they say. So if we can tell you anything is get educated mm -hmm. on your benefits, get educated on the system that we all abide by. You know, that type thing. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we all hope so. Yes. We hope so. Yes. Yes. So I have a surprise. The surprise is Stephanie's coming back for a second part. Uh, and we are going to talk about a mega daughter. Tune in next Friday at four for a mega daughter with, with Judge Stephanie Jones. Bye, guys. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. 
Thanks for listening to Talkin' Tennessee with Yavanka. Watch out for our weekly episodes from the first family of real estate. And check us out on the web, www.yavankasalsrealestate.com. See our videos on Yavanka's YouTube channel or find us on Facebook under Yavanka Landis and Twitter at Yavanka Landis. And don't forget to tell a friend about us. Until next time, Yavanka signing off.